This is the All The Way with Shelly Wade podcast. Hey, welcome back. I want to thank DJ Happy for supplying my awesome podcast theme music. You can find him at DJ Happy on social media. That's D-J-H-A-P-P-E-E. Also, thanks to my very amazing podcast announcer, T-Storm, and my super amazing producer, Dre Boogs. And Thanks to you for listening. I want to shout out to everybody who's been down with me since the beginning of my career. There are actually people who have been following me for years and years since I was starting off as a kid in this business. Well, I was, you know, early 20s <laughs> um, until all the way until now. Thank you so much for supporting me on the radio and listening to my podcast and following me on social media. I love you so much for the support and for um, caring enough to follow me on this journey. There's hopefully so much more journey to go that we can uh, travel together. Uh, thanks to you if you're new to the podcast as well. My name is Shelly Wade. You can hear me on the radio radio every day, every weekday on 94.7 The Block, New York. You can download the Odyssey app. If Even if you're not in New York City, you can download the Odyssey app and listen from wherever you are. And um, just search for 94.7 The Block once you've downloaded the app. And you can hear me every day, 2 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on The Block. You can also follow me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at the one and only Shelly Wade. Follow on Twitter, at Shelly Wade. Don't forget that Shelly spelt with an E-Y. And um, you can find my Facebook page and like it. It's All the Rage with Shelly Wade. My YouTube channel is also called All the Way, All, All the Rage with Shelly Wade, excuse me. And you can subscribe to that. And my personal website is ShellyWade.com. And that's S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-W-A-D-E. Uh, last episode, we talked to Daniel Mangana to whom I shared the goals I want to achieve by exploring my life with you on this podcast. And then Daniel suggested that our goals aren't really what we're after. What we're really seeking are the feelings we get when we achieve those goals. I was like, hmm, I really, really like the idea of that. I, I feel like it's probably true, probably spot on. So Daniel suggests that we examine what those feelings are, then allow those feelings to lead us to what we're passionate about in life. I promised in the last episode that I'd examine my feelings, you know, where I would, you know, check out the goals that I have for myself and then examine the feelings and emotions behind those goals and then share them with you in this episode. So I've done that work and here's my sharing. So my first goal, letting my guards down long enough to find love. The feelings and emotions I feel like are behind those are to be loved, to be adored, to be valued, to be seen. Um, my next goal, working through past traumas to find healing. By the way, that's going to be one of the goals we'll start working on on today's episode five. So uh, hang around for that. But the feelings behind working through past traumas to find healing, I feel like it's to feel mended. Um, another goal, redefining my career goals. I feel like the feelings behind those to feel a more succinct sense of purpose and of being in uh, being of service in my career. So, and I say that, you know, when I say I want to work through my, I want to redefine my career goals, that's not to say I don't want to do radio anymore. Of course I want to do radio. It's been my lifelong career, at least since I've, I was a young adult. Um, but there are certain things that um, I wanted to achieve years ago that are no longer as important to me. What's more important to me, especially at this level of my career and especially as I get older and wiser and I know what's more important to me, what I find important in career is finding um, purpose in what I'm doing, not just doing it to achieve goals, but finding purpose in what I'm doing. What's the purpose of what I'm doing? And then 
uh, again, important, being of service in my career. I look at people like, um, I don't know, let's just say Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers did so much to give the message to little kids, to children, that they are loved just the way they are. And he wanted to teach them lessons and to um, guide them to being good caring people and 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 I think he that was his life's work and I think he did such a great service to you know to generations of people right and so I think that that's one of the perfect examples of being of service in your career the god-given gifts you have um, you can use those to achieve goals, but you can also use those to be of service to others. I feel like Oprah is another perfect example of that. She has used so much of her gifts to um, to be of service. And uh, that's what I would like to be as much of service as I can in my career. So the feeling of um, being more succinct uh, to having a more succinct sense of purpose in my career and of being of service. Those are the feelings I'm after in work in, in def- redefining my career goals. Another goal of mine uh, in this podcast is learning to be more financially savvy. Of course, the feelings and emotions behind that, to have control financially, to have more confidence financially, to feel more accomplished financially, and to feel more um, competent financially. Those are the feelings I have with that goal. Another goal of mine, updating my fashion style. And that's not to say that I completely completely want to change my fashion or I want to update it to what they're doing now because I have never been into fads. Um, but what I want to do in updating my fashion style is to have a more unique and a more individualistic um a sense of myself expression in my fashion. Like, what am I passionate about? What do I love? Like, for instance, I love lace. And while I wear lace, it's not as incorporated in my fashion as I would like for it to be since I have such a strong passion for lace. I want to uh, incorporate it more. Um, when I was a kid, a teen, I would wear gloves a lot, you know, like lace gloves and, and you know, really, um, uh, um, really you know, gloves that really were, were quirky and had a lot of fashion. Um, I love hats a lot. I want to incorporate those into my, my fashion more. So just not just wearing something just to be stylish, but wearing something as a form of self-expression, expressing myself and more of my personality and more of the things that I love and that have special meaning for me, incorporate all of those into my fashion. Um, So um, in updating my fashion, the feelings and emotions behind that to have a more unique and more individualistic um, sense of fashion, of self-expression, as opposed to just a fashion fad. And I also want to uh, serve that feeling of feeling nostalgic for the things that I loved from my past and incorporate that into my fashion. Another goal of mine during this podcast is learning how to do how to be a better planner and to be more structured while maintaining my sense of spontaneity and freedom. So I always want to feel free and like I'm able just to spontaneously decide to do something. But um, in, in wanting to be a better planner and more structured. I think the feelings that I I seek in that are to have more control and to be more productive. And then finally, the goal, the other goal I have for myself for the podcast is facing my fears. And I think the main feeling I'd like to have while facing my fears is feeling brave. So, um, Uh, In examining uh, the feelings and emotions behind the goals that I'd like to achieve as I explore my life during this podcast, those are the emotions um, that I have for those goals. So on to um, today's episode, episode five, which is called Things Fall Apart. I just want to share, you know, as you follow me on this journey, as I explore my life, it's it's good for you to know um, you know, the things that I, I think the, the things that I've gone through in my life um, that were traumatic for me. And, you know, because one of my goals, as I said earlier, is working through past traumas to find healing 
um, we often will ignore um, or even try to bury things that have happened to us as to so as not to have to face them. But I feel that if I'm going to have uh, more healing and if I'm going to um, be able to move on fully into the next phase of my life, I have to face past traumas and and I faced my traumas before um, but I feel like I I um I want to share them with you and you know one thing I asked Daniel Mangana in um, last week's episode was to share um, the experiences he went through because he hit rock bottom he lost all of the millions of dollars that he had earned and and then he was somehow able to pick himself back up and regain his successes and his riches. And now he coaches others as to how to do that. But he didn't really fully share with us um, how he how he made it through those traumas. He didn't really fully share, at least not on the episode. Maybe we can go to his website and, and read his books. And he shares um, more in depth how um, he was able to pick himself back up. Um, but what I want to do is share with you the biggest traumas. I'm going to tell you about three biggest traumas I've been through in my life and just how they really had me down for the count and, um, you know, the feelings and emotions I went through, the struggles I went through uh, while going through those traumas. And then tell you, share with you how I was able to pick myself back up. Um, because, um, you know, I was, I was talking to my sister about this podcast and, um, this episode and, 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 and she told me what she'd really like to know is when you fall, how do you pick up and start again? How do you dust yourself off and try again? How do you do that without being discouraged by what had just happened by the traumas that you had just gone through. Because yes, when we go through traumas, a lot of times it makes us not want to even try again. I think that that's how I've, you know, that's how I've managed to be single for so long is because, you know, the trauma of heartbreak um, and and just the horribleness of the last relationship experience I went through, it just made me feel like, nah, like what's that movie out now? Nope. Don't want to be bothered with that right now. <laughs> I'm just going to focus on my career. I, I don't want to be. Nope. I don't want to be bothered with the trauma of being betrayed and hurt and, and heartbroken. And so we tend to not want to face those traumas because they're painful. Right. But you do at some point if you are going to live a life and really live a productive life and and get to a point of happiness. Um and you definitely have to face your traumas and and pick yourself up and and even though you know it's probably going to be guaranteed at some point we're going to experience um you know losses and what we perceive as failures although i truly believe that failures um they are learning experiences for us so they are not 100% failures but heartbreaks and failures and and loss it's guaranteed that we're going to experience those a number of times in our lives, but we can't let that keep us from living a full life. So let me start off by sharing with you um, the first trauma that, that I feel like the biggest trauma that I've ever gone through in my life was certainly my dad's death. I have shared with you um, before via podcast um, the trauma of my dad's death, and we all experience life, but because this is my podcast, I want to share um, my experience with my dad's death. Uh, I had never lost anyone in my immediate family when my dad passed away in 2017. My dad had just turned 70 years old. Um, you know, I, I, I was blessed to be able to grow up in the household with both my parents and my three siblings. And my dad was a hard worker. He didn't always share with you, um, you know, emotional things. He always let you know that he loved you, though, and how proud he was of you. But he didn't always share with you all of the emotional traumas that he may have experienced in his life. But what he did was he worked really hard to make sure that we were taken care of and and well fed and that we had um, a household that where we felt loved and supported. Um, and so 
my dad, and I've shared in the podcast before, but if you hadn't heard, um, let me tell you, my dad was the life of the party. He was a social butterfly, my dad was, his whole life. Um, and I always feel like, and my mom, on the other hand, um, well, she is so funny. She's also, she can also sometimes be a wallflower. You know, she can be the quiet, uh, retiring one. So I guess that's why they say opposites re- attract, right? Um, but I feel like I'm the perfect mix of my parents. Sometimes I can be the quiet wallflower like my mom. And sometimes I am the life of the party. And I never know which one I'm going to be, my mom or my dad, until I step into the building. (laughs) I can be on a dance floor and everybody in the club wants to dance with me because I am attracting everybody because I just have that energy, my dad energy. And then other times I'm just kind of sitting there at the table, you know, with my cocktail, just checking everything. Out, not really saying much, you know, and that's when I'm my mom. But um, my dad was the party animal. He had lots of friends. He had lots of relatives that he hung out with all the time, and he'd sometimes stay out late, you know, drinking and such after a hard day of work. Um, but he made sure he worked really hard and made sure that we were taken care of. Um, my dad. Um, and my mom separated and then um, subsequently divorced. But then my dad quickly realized shortly after they separated that he had made a huge mistake and he wanted to be back with my mom. And she, on the other hand, really didn't want to get back with him. And he lived for the rest of his life being heartbroken um, that my mom never took him back and um, that he felt a sense that he had lost his family. Although, you know, we were still very much in his life, but he felt, you know, because we weren't all together all the time, you know, that he, you know, lost his family. That's how he would, um, he would phrase it. Um, And, and, and ultimately um, um, around the time my, my parents got a divorce, my dad had a major stroke And I think he had that stroke because he was so distraught um, because of their breakup. That's just my theory. It's it wasn't proven medically or anything, but it's it's my theory. Um, And um, he while he, you know, survived the stroke, thank God, because we had many more years with him afterwards. But uh, he never really was fully himself. And eventually he passed away, and and, uh, I always think of him passing away with a broken heart. And again, that's just my theory. Um, You know, nothing medically proved. Um, When my dad passed away, um, he that year, 2017, was really crazy year. There was a lot going on. I was. not feeling my healthiest. You know, if you see my my Instagram, you'll see sometimes that I post about having had fibroids and suffered through them. I know a lot of women who have, but they were really disruptive to my life. And at the time I was, you know, I, I was really, um, you know, a few months before that, you know, all up to 2016, I was really active. And then all of a sudden I started becoming slow and lethargic and had no energy and couldn't work out and um, was just tired all the time. And then I went to a doctor's appointment and they, you know, let me know that, oh, I had fibroids and they had grown and they were really huge. And, um, and so I was preparing to have major surgery in the summer of 2017. Meanwhile, my dad had turned he was about to turn um, 70 years old, a big milestone birthday in May of 2017. And my goal, I bought him a plane ticket and everything, was to fly him to San Diego to visit me for his birthday. And um, ended up, though, that my niece had a graduation the same Um, week that I was going to fly my dad to San Diego. So what I said to daddy, because I didn't want to miss my niece's graduation, I said, daddy, can we postpone your trip 
I'm not sure exactly when we'll postpone it to, but I don't want to miss Aaron's graduation. And so he said, okay, he understood because he wanted to go to the graduation as well. He wanted to be there for her graduation as well. So he agreed to postpone the trip. And um, so I flew to Houston to be at my niece's graduation, and he was there, of course. And I post a picture all the time of me and my dad at that graduation, just sitting in the seats. And um, that's probably my favorite picture with him. Um, and uh, I post it, it may have even been my one of my final pictures with my dad, actually, come to think of it. But um, we... Um, we sat next to each other and we enjoyed each other's company and such. And then I flew back to San Diego and preparing for my, my surgery and all, and, you know, had to go back for work as well. And, uh, still all the while trying to figure out when was I going to fly my dad to San Diego. And it's going to have to be after my surgery because it's a major surgery and I have to, um, you know, recuperate from, from that. And then, get back to work. And then somewhere in there, I planned a trip to, you know, after my surgery, I planned a trip to um, Paris um, and France with a friend who was celebrating his birthday and, and other people. And I did that shortly after I, I recuperated from my surgery. And I was so winded walking around Paris and, and, and other places in France because I had newly recuperated from my surgery, but that's neither here nor there. When I came back, I think it was after I came back from, from France that Hurricane Harvey hit Houston. And so that further delayed me bringing my dad to San Diego to visit me in honor of his birthday that had already passed months before. So I was worried sick about my family um, and then after they opened, reopened the airports and I was able to visit Houston, I, that was the first thing I did um, after the hurricane because I was so worried sick about my family because it was such a major hurricane. So I, I visited my family and when my, my dad found that out that I was going to be visiting, he made sure because he wanted to be baptized. He had been going to church more and he wanted to be baptized and he didn't want to be baptized without me being present. And so when he found out I was going to make a quick um, weekend trip to Houston to visit my family after the horrors of Hurricane Harvey, he said, oh, my, I'm glad you're going to be here. I'll schedule being baptized for when you're here. And so thank God I was able to see my dad being baptized. And, you know, after that weekend, I flew back to San Diego. And shortly after that, my dad passed away in October of um, 2017. And he passed away and without me ever having flown him to San Diego to experience that beautiful city uh, and, and without him being there, ever being there to see where I lived and my life there. And I just regret it that he didn't come, that I didn't fly him out there before he passed. And um, so... There began the trauma of me losing my dad. This episode is called Things Fall Apart. This is where the biggest trauma of my life caused me to experience my life falling apart because I lost my dad. And here is what I went through with that trauma and how I found myself getting out of that trauma and finding my, my way to healing. So I found out about my dad's death um, in, an, in, a, in an awkward way. I um, woke up and I was checking my Facebook and I received a message from someone telling me that my dad wasn't answering his phone calls and he wasn't answering um, the door when someone visit him, visited him. And, of course, I'm thinking, like, okay, um, 
I, I was assuming that they had been trying to reach him for a while. And then I immediately started thinking back on, on when was the last time I talked to my dad. And I remember talking to him about sports. One of my favorite thing conversations with my dad was talking about sports. And I remembered we had had a conversation about sports. And probably the last time I tried to reach him, he didn't answer. But I didn't think anything of it because we don't always answer the phone, right? And then I, I started becoming extremely worried. And, and then I reached out to my mom and then um, to my siblings. And and then uh, and then they went to my dad's home and they couldn't get in. And then they called the police because, of course, my dad wasn't answering his phone and his door, um, just as someone had told me on Facebook. And, um, you know, my mom was giving me updates. And then Called the police. The police broke in, um, and then they found my dad dead on the floor. And my mom called me and told me the news. And, you know, the whole time I'm waiting for news, I'm praying, I'm still trying to call him, hoping he'll answer. And my mom finally called me with the news, and I screamed out loud, and I cried, and I was just going through all of these um, thoughts in my head about, oh, my God, I wish that when he didn't answer the first time, you know, all of the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Um, but, you know, and you, you're kind of numb to things at first. Um, you know, and then things start hitting you. You know, things like, like, I'm never going to, talk to my dad again on the phone? I'm never going to um, give my dad a Father's Day gift again? Um, if I ever get married, my dad's not going to walk me down the aisle? And things, you know, just um, things that you didn't think you'd be thinking, but here all of a sudden, um, you know, you're thinking all of those things. And, and it was, again, the first time I've lost anybody in my immediate family and, um, and then I just cried, cried, and I cried some more and cried some more. And subsequently, the days and the weeks um, following, um, you know, of course, you you know you're, you're you know you have to make travel plans, emergency travel plans, and and you know plan for the funeral. I planned my dad's. I planned and designed my dad's. Um, funeral program, you know, had to call and, and, you know, interview my siblings and get their thoughts on it. And they wrote out their thoughts for me and I included it in and I, you know, came up with the, the, you know, the plans for it and everything. Never thinking that I'd be doing that, you know, I mean, I just never thought I would be the person planning my dad's funeral um, program. Uh, but but here I was, you know, and my siblings were doing their part to help plan as well. And, uh, you know, it you know, you go through all of those motions of the funeral and going to, you know, see him put into the ground and all of that stuff. And it's all so unbelievable. And just like that, just a person that's been part of your life, your whole life is just gone. Um, I don't know what happens after we die. I know a lot of people have um, ideas of what happens to us when we die. I mean, I don't know. Um, are we reincarnated? Are we coming back? You know, I mean, I would hope to believe we are definitely going to heaven. Um, and I, I would hope that my dad is in heaven. You know, he just got baptized and, you know, rededicated his life to God. And I hope that I'm going to go to heaven one day and I'll see him again. But Right now, I am not going to ever see him alive again. Um, and that's a lot to deal with someone who has, you know, been a part of your life, your whole life. And um, I just, you know, had a hard time dealing with it. I had a really hard time dealing with it. I told you before, I'm a really emotional person and it was really hitting me hard. I would be walking through my apartment and then all of a sudden I'd have to fall on my bed because I was crying so hard and the pain was so much. And it had gotten so bad that that I 
felt really worried about myself. Can I survive this? And then I knew I needed help. And then so I immediately started um, trying to find a therapist that could help me through this pain that I was feeling. Um, so aside from, you know, just talking things through with my family members, you know, you know, conversations you have when you're having, you know, when you're talking to your loved ones, memories of my dad and um, funny stories as well as sad stories, you know, those things those memories help you help you um come to terms with things a bit but going through therapy also helped me because my therapist really helped me to understand that although my dad isn't physically here with me anymore that he will always be a part of me that he will always he is literally part of my dna um, and so he'll always be with me. And so, you know, it really helped me, you know, and, and I, I went to therapy for a long time. It was intensive therapy. I didn't go for one or two, you know, sessions. I did some intensive therapy and just talking it through helped me. Um, and so that's how I was able to Stop wondering whether I'd be able to survive this. You know, um, it's still very, you know, you never get over it. I'm crying right now. You know, I'm, I'm wiping my tears from my face right now. Um, losing a loved one, losing your parent, it's never something you get over it. It gets um, a little easier to deal with over time, but you never get over it. I still get sad about my dad being gone all the time and it's been it's it's been a while now that he's been gone and um it's it's still hard to to, to deal with but it's easier than it was when he had first passed away right um I still there are things that I can't do like like I can't delete my dad's number from my phone um I still, I can't stop praying for my dad when I'm praying for my mem family members when I'm praying during my prayers every day. I, I still pray for my dad. Um, you never get over it, but it gets easier. And um, I, I really, truly believe that therapy and praying helped me. So that's, you know, we talk about you know, the episode, things fall apart, things fell apart when my dad passed away. And I was able to slowly but surely after a lot of crying, um, after a lot of pain, not just like, oh, I'm emotionally upset, but like physical pain, like, like doubling over and I can't stand up because I was so pained by his death. After all, all of that, just being able to talk to my therapist and, and talk through, you know, the ups and downs I had with my dad, you know, because my dad, my relationship with my dad wasn't all rainbows and unicorns. We had ups and downs throughout my lifetime. And um, I was able to talk those through because you can feel guilty, you know, when, when a person has passed away, when your loved one has passed away, you're guilty that you were upset about this with them and upset about that. And you feel like you wasted time being upset with them and not talking to them some days, you know, I, that could have been a day that I could have talked to him. And so you tend to be very hard on yourself. And, you know, again, the coulda, woulda, shouldas. Um, but talking through all of it with my therapist and her helping me understand the stages of grief and being able to not only understand them, but being able to um, really um, learn the tools to be able to Examine what I was going through, examine my feelings, even when I'm not talking to her, but when I'm um, able to help myself out, uh, going straight to my toolbox, the tools that I've learned through therapy that I can go to, to immediately take myself out of the depression and to, to understand how to feel about my dad's place in my life now that he's gone, really helped me. And that's how after things fell apart, um, after the biggest 
trauma of my life, losing my dad. That's how I was able to go through the pain of it and pick myself up and feel like I could go on. Because like I said, there was a time when I felt and I wondered if I was strong enough to deal with it. So turns out I'm my dad's kid. After all, I am strong. And um, I was able to get through that. So that's what I went through um, with the biggest trauma in my life, losing my dad. Another uh, big trauma in my life, I would have to say, you know, because my career is so important to me. When I worked here in New York, you know, the station I'm on now is 94.7 The Block, New York's number one for throwbacks. What a super fun station. But the station that brought me to New York for the first time, my first time in New York from 2001 to 2013, I was here for 12 years on the world famous Z100 New York. It was my lifelong dream, dream to live in New York. Why? Because if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. It's the big city of dream. I'd always, even when I was growing up and dreaming of being a Grammy Award winning singer, I was dreaming of coming to sing in New York City. And so when I got into radio, I, of course, started my radio career in my hometown of Houston, but my dream was to have my own show in New York City, the biggest media market in the world. And I finally did that in 2001 when I was hired by Z100 New York. Um, it's the biggest pop station in the world, like I said. Um, and uh, it was such, such a momentous occasion. My dad lived to see me achieve that goal. My whole family, that was, um, it was 2001, but it was before 9-11. I moved here um, a couple months before 9-11. I moved um, to New York July 2nd. And I remember it so vividly because it was the 4th of July weekend. And I remember my whole family, including my best friends, my parents, my, my siblings, my niece and nephews, my goddaughter, my um, my. Um, best friends, they all came with me to the airport and sat at the gate with me to uh, see me off. You know, things that you can't do now. Um, my dad was there. I'm so happy um, thinking about that memory that he was there. Um, but yeah, um, it was such a dream of mine, such a dream come true to score that gig at Z100 New York and not only score that gig, but to um, make history as the first African-American to ever have a full-time show on Z100 New York. That was what I was able to achieve it was such an exciting time for me. Um, and so I got my dream job and I was on middays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. every day. My show was highly successful. Oftentimes it was the number one show, midday show in all of New York City. It was really successful. So imagine um, how traumatic it was. This would, I would say this would have to be the second biggest trauma in my life. Um, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But imagine how traumatic it was when I found out that even though my show was the number one midday show in New York City, they were going to replace me with Ryan Seacrest. And um, the reason they were going to do that, because, hey, hello, at the time, American Idol was still really big. I think this was like 2008 that this happened. Um, America, American Idol was still huge at that time, I believe. Or at least, um, yeah, I think it was. I have to go back and, and, and look on that. But I think it was still big. But here's the host of the, one of the biggest shows on TV. And uh, they're... Um, to have him on your station, that's a big thing. You know, he's a celebrity. Um, you know, it's more high profile than having just a regular, you know, uh, Joe Schmo on the station like me. <laughs> having a celebrity on the station, you know, it just gives it, um, I, in the company's uh, I, in, in the company's mind, it, it makes it more high profile. Um, you know, um, advertisers may want to advertise uh, more and pay more on the station. I mean, that's I'm just assuming that's what they would be that that's what they would be thinking, what would be beneficial to having a celebrity like him uh, on the station as opposed to a regular person like me. Uh, but I remember um, 
when I found out it would happen, there were there were like a few people that sent, you know, like secret messages to me. You know, of course, they were anonymous and they were being I think they were being nasty because they were like, oh, you're going to be replaced by Seacrest. And I, you know, when I heard it a couple of times, I went to my bosses and I said, hey, what's this I hear about me being replaced by Seacrest? And they were like, oh, no, that's not true. You know, so I believed my bosses because, you know, they'd always been truthful to me before. So why would I not believe them this time, you know? And why would they even replace me when my show was number one? So, you know, when I addressed it with them, I, I you know, I, I felt, okay, that was over. So it wasn't something that I was, um, you know, upset about. I mean, of course, it's something that you keep in the back of your mind because you've heard rumblings of it. But I certainly wasn't shaking in my boots about it, you know. But um, months later, turned out the rumblings and the rumors were true with the uh, the nasty people who were sending me um, private messages, you know, talking about and it's 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 so terrible because I think about it. The people there were like a couple of people who were sending me anonymous messages who knew, um, you know, they obviously knew the inner workings of the deal and such, and they thought that they would, I guess, make me feel upset that it was coming. Why why put that kind of energy out there? It's 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 um, it's sad to think that there are people out there who are happy about um, your career uh, <laughs> being negatively affected by something. It's, it's, it's sad, you know, that people are that miserable. where They're, they're happy about things like that. In either case, um, I was called into my boss's office, and um, I knew there was something different about this particular meeting. <laughs> they had told me that the meeting was about one thing, and then I get in there, and the meeting was about this, how they have decided to replace me with uh, Ryan Seacrest. And um, I remember when they told me the news, it was shocking. Again, that, that word again, you're, you're kind of you're, you're shocked and you're, you're numb about it. You don't really know how to feel because you didn't expect it to come. Um, although there were there were rumblings, I didn't think it would happen because I had already asked my bosses if it was going to happen. They said no. Um, and so when it happened, I was sitting there thinking, wait, you know, you're in the busy, you know, imagine you're dreaming about um, having your own show in New York City your entire career and it fi- you finally achieve your dreams and then you're doing well. You've got the number one show uh, in your daytime in New York City and you're still being replaced. It was something I just wasn't expecting. And so I remember, you know, leaving out of the office again, still feeling numb about it and not really, you know, like it's, it's this, again, it's trauma because my career was my life at that time. I'm not saying that was right, but I'm just being truthful with you. My career was my entire life because I had, you know, after the terrible relationship I had gotten out of, I was like, I vowed I'm going to dedicate my time to my job and my work and my career. And I did it. And um, so then if my career is falling apart, then what does that mean for me? I remember leaving the station. Okay, by the way, I forgot to put this in there that I had the option of leaving the station, you know, taking severance and leaving or keeping my job, you know, keeping a job and going into overnights and because I didn't want to be in a situation where I didn't have a job, I decided to go into overnights, uh, which is a decidedly less glamorous uh, position to have on the station than I had. Um, you know, and people always people kept saying to me, you know, oh, but, you know, over even overnights in New York City is a ton of people listening. That's still a cool job. But see, the thing is, is that I'm not an overnight kind of person. I struggled with that shift. I stayed in that overnight shift for five years and I struggled because I'm not a night owl. And um, my health was declining. And, you know, you get into the position and since it's not one of the major day parts, they were not, um, you know, uh, considering me for extra work that you normally are considered for when you're in a high-profile position, um, uh, extra appearances and such. And it was almost like it. I remember when I got off the air, <laughs> when I got off the air, as soon as I I signed off that last show for that day part, middays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., as soon as I signed off, 
they scrubbed me from the website, meaning they took my face and everything off of the website. Although I was still on the station, they decided to take it off because I guess it they didn't want to remind the listeners that I was leaving or gone. And I guess the optics of replacing me with Ryan Seacrest when I had a successful show. So they completely removed me from the website. <laughs> and I remember emailing the person who was running our um, online department and and said asking why did they remove my blog from the website and I can't remember the answer they gave me but it was some BS answer and it was so heartbreaking because here I am feeling like a member of the the family all these years I'd been there by that at that point for seven years and all these years feeling like a a valued member of the family and then now that I am being moved into the overnights not because of something I did wrong because my show was successful but because they decided they wanted to put a celebrity in my spot and then now all of a sudden I don't feel like a valued member all of a sudden I'm scrubbed from the website it was a really heartbreaking time and I remember the day I found out that they would be re replacing me with him, I remember going downstairs, crying my eyes out and calling my mother. I remember I was on 6th Avenue and waiting to cross the street to go to West Broadway because I had parked in Jersey City and... Um, you know, I'm in lower Manhattan now. And so I'm walking, walking to West Broadway, walking down the street, crying like a baby, talking on the phone to my mom. And I'm sure people, you know, were looking at me wondering why was I so heartbroken. But I remember crying so hard and saying to my mama, Mama, what does this mean for my life? Because my career was my life. And so if this is happening for my career, what then does this mean for my life? Things fall apart. This is how my life was falling apart at that time. And um, I've told you time and time again on the podcast that I am a very sensitive person. I feel things very strongly. And um, I remember the days, the weeks um, following, you know, the news that I would be replaced I remember just being very depressed and very distraught and my my feelings were I, I, I was so fragile um, because everything was so, so unsure for me. Uh, life was so unsure and I was so un and mind you, I still had to be on air every day in 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 these kinds of emotional conditions. Um, but. My feelings were so fragile. I remember feeling like my skin felt like my nerve endings were on top of my skin. I felt exposed. If that, if that makes any sense to you, I felt that the the nerves, my nerves were exposed instead of being protected by the the layer of skin. I felt like they were exposed, and I just felt highly sensitive and and highly emotional and 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 it it showed outwardly. I um, self medicated with food. I ate my feelings. I gained so much weight. Not over, not only over the next few weeks and months, but over the next few years, just gained so much weight that I, I got to the point where I was so unhealthy. I was on the verge of getting everything, high blood pressure, diabetes, anything that you were on the verge of getting, I was on the verge of, not only because I was depressed and sad, but also because... I wasn't a night owl, night owl, excuse me, and staying up at all hours of the night were not healthy for me. And granted, I could have not taken that job and taken severance pay, but I wanted to work. This was my career, remember, my life. And so I wasn't going to just walk away from a job, you know, if I had a job, especially in New York City. And I also thought... Um, I also thought, by the way, the reason I stayed on that job is because I thought it would be easier for me to get a job. You know, I didn't think I thought, you know, my reasoning was I'll take this overnight shift and continue to make money and I will, you know, be on the job search. And when I find a job, I'll move on to that job. But the problem was, remember, I said this was 2008. The problem was that in 2008, you had that real estate bubble. Right. So there were a lot of companies. Um, 
that were firing people and letting people go, not hiring people. You know, so people were losing jobs and homes and everything in 2008. And and it turns out it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be to get a job. And so I ended up staying in overnights for five years. And to the station's credit, they kept signing me, re-signing me to contracts every two years. And so I was happy to be gainfully employed, although I was unhappy in the shift because I didn't feel like a part of the family anymore. Um and I wasn't given the same opportunities. And um, so back to when I found out in the weeks following, my nerves were just on edge all the time. I was depressed. I was gaining tons of weight from eating so much, eating my feelings. And I remember breaking out. I had the worst breakouts in my skin. If you look at my social media, you'll see that my skin is typically pretty smooth and clear. But I had the worst breakouts. They were hormonal. They were all kinds of emotional breakouts. I had these huge breakouts on my face, and I felt like I felt inside. I felt awful. I I, I looked, excuse me, like I felt on the inside. I looked awful because, again, uh, I had the worst breakouts, and 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 the way I was feeling inside, it, those feelings were being expressed outwardly by my weight gain and by the acne. So this is what was happening as things were falling apart for me at that particular juncture in my life, and even more than that, there were a couple of traumas that came, a little like smaller traumas that came along with it. I remember uh, when I first went into overnights, my boss told me that I would be able to still, because again, me going into overnights was not any doing of my own. It wasn't my fault. They just decided to replace me with a celebrity. So um, I should still be able to make the same salary as I was making when I was um, in the more high profile day part. And so my boss promised me that I'd still be able to make the same salary. And then a few months into me working overnight, the union attorney reached out to me and said, hey, listen, um, the company's the company has decided that they're not going to pay an overnight jock this kind of money. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? I was promised that I, I mean, of course it wasn't in writing, but I was promised, you know, in person that I'd still be able to keep my same salary. But the, here, here we go a few months later and the attorney's like, nope, we're not going to pay an overnight jock that kind of money. And I'm like, wait, what? 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 I'm only an overnight jock is because you guys replaced me with a celebrity. <laughs> That's the only reason I'm an overnight jock. And so they took my salary down to less than half of what I was making. And to do that in a place like New York City was particularly, I felt cruel because... New York City is a very expensive place to live, and to survive on less than half of what I was making um, was really difficult for me. I struggled through that financially. Um, I even, uh, t you know, turned in my car because I had a car on, on lease, and I turned that in, and I stopped driving so that I could conserve money and be able to better pay my bills. It was a struggle. It was not only a financial struggle, but it was an emotional trauma for me as well because I felt um, betrayed and, and it just was horrible. And then on top of all that, <laughs> uh, around the holidays, a few months later, the union um, had sent out some letter I can't even remember because it was so many years ago now, but the union had sent out a letter to everyone in the city that was a member of the union. And it it mentioned something about um, the, the something about it didn't mention me by name, but everyone pretty much could deduce what who or what shift they were talking about. And somehow it inadvertently, that letter inadvertently let everyone in the union know how much money I was making. Um, and I felt so, again, betrayed and traumatized by that. And, and to add insult to injury, I am calling these people at the union to let them know, hey, did you guys realize you, you 
reveal this information about me and my salary in this letter to everyone in the union. And this is something that's supposed to be private. And, and, and not only was I not able to reach the person that I was trying to reach because it was the holidays and they were on vacation, but when they finally were able to reach me, all they could do was say, hey, oh my God, we did make that mistake. We're sorry. Meanwhile, you know, I, I can't say that I was embarrassed by it, but I had the right to my privacy, you know? So it was like trauma after trauma. Um, but, you know, I was able to pull things together emotionally and come in and do my show for the next five years, still be the, the jock, you know, the hardworking jock that, that I was. And this is the part, by the way, where I was putting things back together after they fell apart. This is how, you know, because my purpose in sharing all of this with you is to tell you how I picked myself up and came back out of it. So part of that was to focus on what I could control, right? Uh, because we can stay in the funk we're in and continue to be depressed and, and woe is me, or we could, you know figure out what we want for our lives and then work towards that, right? So that's what I did. I, um, you know, I sat down and I really, you know, um, you know, had a talk with myself, which I do often. I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> anyway, um, and I really, you know, decided what I wanted out of my life and what I really felt like I could control. And um, so I, you know, thought I'd, you know, I'd continue to go after my TV dreams and, you know, because I, you know, I, I make, I'm a TV personality as well, well, an entertainment journalist, and I often appear on TV talking about celebs and such. So I was making uh, appearances on CNN. I even launched ShellyWade.com, and that's again, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-W-A-D-E.com, where I would uh, interview celebs for my website, um, and uh, I would be on the lookout for for jobs that I thought would fit my lifestyle. And so um, that's how I came in, you know, after, um, you know, going through a deep depression, you know, and, 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 you know, one thing I would also do when I was feeling my nerves, you know, on the, on like, if they felt like on top of my skin and feeling so fragile emotionally, I would often go and get massages because massages are not just about, you know, being luxurious and, and, and pampering yourself. They are about good health as well, preserving your good health, because when you're getting massages, it helps um rid the body of toxicity. And there, there was such negative um, energy um, inside me that, that needed to come out. And so I got regular massages because it really helped me health-wise. And so those are um, the things I did um, to help me get through it. That's how I was able to pick myself up and, um, and, 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 and feel like I could move on from this very traumatic period of my career. Eventually, I was offered a job in San Diego. I'd never been to San Diego, but I instinctively knew that it was a beautiful place to live and that it would be healing for me, especially after working overnights for five years, just to be out in that beautiful Southern California sunshine and just enjoying the beautiful Pacific Ocean and the beauty that is San Diego. I knew it was beautiful because people always told me, even when I had never visited myself, people would always tell me it was beautiful and it did not disappoint. Um, so I eventually got a job offer in San Diego and decided to take it because I just instinctively knew that it would be good for my spirit. I knew it would be good for my soul and that it would, more importantly, be good for my um, my healing. I guess I shouldn't say more importantly, but uh, equally important for my healing. And then I ended up um, getting to Southern California and making more strides in my TV pursuits than I had ever made in my career. I uh, started appearing. I was still doing my CNN entertainment appearances. And um, then I started appearing on the talk on uh, CBS. Uh, they would have me on once a month, sometimes twice a month to talk about celebs and 
Um, and it was a it, it was a really exciting time. I did that for I was on the talk for about six years. And again, tying my dad back into this, my dad was always a huge fan of the talk. And so he was so proud of me. He was a fan of that show before I started appearing on it. And so the fact that I was his daughter was on the show, he was so proud and he would tell all of his family members and friends to tune in. He was, he would always, he was my biggest promoter and my biggest fan. Um, and so it was, it was really nice that he got to, you know, he lived to see that as well. He was very proud of me, um, as are everyone in my family. Um, but, um, so that's how I picked myself up. I like to say that reframing is a great way to, um, to get through a difficult time. When I say reframe, I mean, yes, we are going through, maybe we're going through diff- difficult times. Like, say, right now, you know, say back then I, you know, I, I lost my um, my high-profile gig on the station, but at least I still had a job. That's a great way to reframe that, right? Instead of looking at the negatives Turn it into a positive. Um, Reframe it as a positive. So although I was working all night, I could go home and take a nap and then get up and still pursue my television goals, right? That's a positive way to reframe that situation. So reframe what you can so that you are in a more positive uh, frame of mind and of thinking and that you just have... um, better energy so that you're not wallowing in the depression of it all. You have to um, you have to really work hard at getting yourself out of the rut. And a lot of that has to do with being more hopeful. And you can't be more hopeful when you're just thinking about the negative. So when you can reframe things to, to, to look at the positives of it all, that helps you get out of the rut. And it helps you to think more positively and to start being more hopeful, Right. So that was the second biggest trauma in my life. Um, Another trauma and the the final trauma I'll share with you today was um, the pandemic. Uh, I think the the pandemic was traumatic for us all. Right. I mean, you hear these stories about the the richest people in the world got richer during the pandemic. And there are some people who never suffered, who never lost a job during the pandemic. Those are rare cases. Most of us really um, experienced trauma during the pandemic. You know, I had lost my job in San Diego before the pandemic. I lost my job in the summer of 2019. And I was counting on, you know, you know, and I was fine with it. You know, losing the job there was not traumatic for me because I felt the whole reason I was in San Diego was to really heal from the experiences I had, the last few years experience I had in New York and to heal and and, and to grow wiser and to learn from past traumas and and mistakes and to and to better myself, to to treat myself better health-wise, to get out there and experience God's beauty, the ocean, and to hike and experience nature. I feel like that was the true reason God blessed me with that position in San Diego so I could heal. And I did that. And now I'm strong enough to be back in New York um, in the number one media market in the world. Um, But I lost that gig um, the summer before the pandemic. But I thought, you know, hey, I'm fine. I'm I'm living off because I had a great severance package. My agent, yeah, my agent, shout out to Heather, <laughs> negotiated me a great severance package. I never thought I'd have to use it, but I ended up having to use it. Um, and so I was living quite comfortably. Um, that's not a brag. It was like that's one of the reasons I was able to stay in San Diego for as long as I did um, after losing my job. Um and so I was able to live quite comfortably, comf- comfortably, excuse me. Um, and I thought all along, oh, I'm going to get a job, you know, in no time. Little did I know that COVID was coming. And a lot more people that lost their jobs uh, during 2008 lost their jobs during the pandemic, way more during the pandemic. And so here I was, SOL again, as far as my job situation. And um, that's when things started to really hit me, the situation I was in and the trauma um, that um, I was being hit with. Here I was, um, now my severance 
had had run its course and now I'm going through my savings and um, I ended up going through all my savings and um, I wasn't able to get um, a job until the summer of 2021 and um, that was a traumatic time for me because I had started thinking wait is is it possible that my radio career is over? I mean, I've had an amazing career, but it seems that there are no jobs out there and I'm just banging my head up against a brick wall um, wondering if I'll ever get a job again. I did not think that this is how my career would end. And I had to really sit down and have a serious talk with myself again. And I, I, I started feeling like, okay, well, you know, I started saying saying it to some of my radio friends as well. I think this may be it. And none of them would have me, would, would even hear that kind of talk. They were like, this is just a trying time for everyone in the industry. This is certainly not someone with your talent and, and your, you know, your resume. This is certainly not the end of your career. Um, and, um, you know, but the way I was able to get through everything was... Luckily, you know, I I prayed a lot because the pandemic, you know, not only did I not have a job, but I was extremely lonely. I lived alone and I was very serious about, uh, um, you know, quarantining and I was so lonely. Um, You know, I wasn't in a relationship and I couldn't hang out with my friends because you didn't know how you could catch it and, and, you know, uh, COVID is what I'm talking about. Didn't know how you could catch COVID. And it was a very scary time and a very lonely time. And I, like most people, gained that quarantine 15 and 15 more on top of that. Um, and so I ate, again, as I typically do, I ate my food, my, my feelings. I gained a ton of weight. Um, but I ended up, you know, I was just like, I, I just couldn't I couldn't let myself, especially after, you know, learning all the tools uh, to um, to be healthier when I went to therapy after my dad passed away. I couldn't let myself fall by the wayside like that. So I stopped hearing that kind of talk for myself. I stopped saying I'm never going to get it. Am I ever going to get a job again? I just started believing it. And I was praying all the time and reading the Bible, doing both of those things comforted me and gave me hope. And I think hope is one of the the most important things you can feel. Hope is one of the biggest keys to being able to survive and to pick yourself up. So I did that and I regularly talked to my family members and friends and and that's how I was able to pick myself up out of that depression um, during the pandemic and to just be able to um, survive it and then end up holding out until I got a job, you know? And so that's how I was able to survive that. So my sharing all of this, I told you I wanted to explore my life and take you along with me. And that's why I'm doing this. I'm sharing all this stuff with you because, you know, if you're going through anything like this or anything, you know, you're not alone. No matter what position you have, no matter what you do, you go through ups and downs, hills and valleys. And you if you're learning from your mistakes and if you're learning from the lessons, you become wiser and you become stronger and more resilient. So reframe what you're thinking about yourself and what you're going through and think about what you do have instead of what you don't have. Focus on your blessings and and, and, and try to maintain hope. Keep hope alive. That's not just a saying. You really have to do that. And that is one of the ways that you can get through whatever trauma you may be going through. And um, I will be sharing more with you on the podcast. Spread the word. Listen every day. Uh, I mean, every week. I have new episodes every Wednesday. Um, subscribe. And um like, comment, review. Those are all things that help new listeners find the podcast. And follow me on social media. Again, you can find my fa- my All the Rage with Shelly Wade Facebook page and YouTube channels. And like and subscribe to those. Follow me on Instagram at the one and only Shelly Wade. On Twitter at Shelly Wade. Don't forget that Shelly spelled with an E-Y. And my website is ShellyWade.com. Again, Shelly spelled with an E-Y. Like, follow, subscribe, all of that good stuff. I really love you for listening. And I love DJ Happy for my podcast theme music. Follow him at DJ Happy, DJ H-A-P-P-E-E across social media. I love T-Storm for being my podcast announcer. And I love Dre Books for being my super amazing podcast producer. This is the All The Way with Shelly Wade podcast. 